Now I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last verses of this letter to Timothy, whom Paul considered a son in the faith. We will begin in verse 19. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for this portion of scripture. Open it and this letter in review to our edification in our discipleship before your holy throne. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message today is Come Before Winter, The Disciples' Journey to the Finish Line. We began the study of 2 Timothy just a week before the COVID-19 pandemic began, and I repeatedly pronounced this call of God upon us as we descended into it and now are proceeding out of it. We entered the pandemic knowing Christ, and we will leave it being more conformed to Christ. Personal knowledge of the living Christ and conformity to his character is the essence of being a disciple of Christ, following him so that we become like him, so that when we die or when Christ comes again in glory, we shall be on a path of progressive sanctification, which then will be brought to a climax in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. We will be made perfect and enter the presence of the Lord. To know Christ and to be conformed to Christ, Paul talks about it when he says, I consider everything, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Our brother Elder Ken, in his closing prayer in Sunday school, talked about knowing Christ and trusting in him. I want you to know Jesus. And he wanted to know Jesus so much that he considered everything apart from that rubbish. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is from God, it is alien to us, it is other than us, and it is by faith. And we are also in that process of our living in faith. We are conformed, and discipleship often involves relationship, and I've tried to emphasize that as we went through this letter even as Paul writes in Galatians 4.19, My little children for whom I labor in birth again 
until Christ has formed you. Wow, I saw Rachel laboring. I didn't see her. I just heard about it and was like, you know, fingernails in the mouth, worried about it. 72 hours, that is a labor. But Paul labored every day for his churches. And we as Christians should be concerned about the conformity unto Christ of our brothers and sisters, especially we as leaders. And we are conformed, it says, he whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are brought into the family of God by faith, and we are conformed to be like Jesus, our big brother. Now, as we leave this book, we hear this urgent call from Paul to Timothy. Timothy, do your utmost to come before winter which is an echo of what we heard a couple weeks ago in 4.9. Be diligent to come quickly. There's urgency in Paul's words. And we must admit that the initial occasion for such urgency is a call specific to this son in the faith, Timothy, to bring the cloak that Paul had left with Carpus in Troas, verse 13, and to bring the books, especially the parchments. But also, the urgency of these historical requests from Paul to be diligent, to come quickly, to come before winter, and their placement at the end of the letter, just above where he would have signed his name, they also communicate urgency about the kind of topics referred to at the end of the letter. Topics such as Fellowship and service in the church really matter. The word of God really matters. And us embracing our calling in Christ Jesus really matters. So let us consider these closing words come before winter with the seriousness they deserve. The Reverend Clarence McCartney, who was a pastor in my hometown of Patterson, New Jersey, and then in Philadelphia, and then in Pittsburgh, wrote and presented a very famous sermon called Come Before Winter. It was popularized by Max McLean and distributed widely by Ligonier Ministries over a decade ago. And he spent a whole Sunday on this phrase, Come Before Winter, and he did it every fall. He repeated the same wor words over practically every fall just as they were coming into winter because he thought it was so important that his congregation Feel in the midst of the grace of God which, which, with which this letter ends, grace be with you that we would have an appropriate sense of urgency. There's something that we mean are meant to do. And we are meant to live every day as if it matters forever for God. Right now counts forever, as R.C. Sproul has often said. When we face a pandemic, it's not a time to retreat into passivity, but rather to engage with watchfulness and care. People need Christ as much as they ever have, and we ask God to touch their souls in their hour of earthly vulnerability that they would have a heart prepared to hear the gospel. As our introductory quotation in the bulletin says, opportunity is so very short and sudden and men are blinded by pleasures, prejudices, and of vain hopes. Opportunity must be presently embraced. The neglect of the opportunity is the greater 
greatest destroyer in the world. It is not only flat denial that ruins, but delay. All that the devil pretends to desire, he pretends to desire, is your now, your present opportunity. He will offer God your tomorrow. Let me have the present time and give God all the future. Few deny, but most delay. The present opportunity is a short time. Don't waste it. It cannot be recalled when spent. You have no assurance of another opportunity. And so let us see the urgency first of Christian fellowship and caring. The Apostle Paul says, come before winter, not only nor primarily because he wants his cloak before it gets cold in the Mamertine prison, but also because he wants the cloak of Christian fellowship and caring to warm his heart. Before the ice freezes up the shipping lanes that would prevent Timothy and Mark from traveling by sea to see Paul and Luke in prison. Timothy is the one who to Paul is like a son. Philippians 1, he calls him like a son. And Mark is the one who was once estranged from Paul. They had a disagreement. Paul felt Mark bailed out and disinvited him from coming on a later missionary journey. But they had been reconciled through the ministrations of Barnabas. He had welcomed him back. Mark already, but now he wants Mark again at his side. If there's someone that you've been estranged from, if there's someone that you may have had that estrangement healed, but, but you still want to make sure that they know that you love them, now is a good time to do that because you hear in this text, God brings us text for a purpose. When he's calling Mark there, he's saying, I want that one who I was once disappointed in and now am totally embracing in love. Some of us have some unfinished business in that area. Let's take care of that business. Caring matters. We need one another in the body of Christ as we always have. We don't need, need each other more now. We just need each other as we always have. It's just that it's hard to show that sometime in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm simply calling you to resume the prior practices with the safety standards the session has put into place. Urging your participation to sign up for the Saturday of Labor Day weekend breakfast. The sign-up sheet is in the lobby. And that you would care for one another in informal ways. With cards, with telephone calls, with little gifts. Some way to be in relationship. In the military, I have heard and seen in movies at least that soldiers snap to attention without a command when a superior officer comes into the room. It's like a chain reaction. First one person notices he's coming in and he's snapping to attention and everybody else sees it and wow, they're a 10 hook. But when that officer is leaving, the officer may say, as you were, to return the soldiers to their card playing or whatever it was they were doing prior to him entering. From my point of view, we're at a point when I suggest that as you were is the order of the day. 
We may do things a little differently and things may look a little differently, but we are asking you to hear this word as you were. Remember also that this ministry of fellowship is not just among the leaders. It's not just Paul with Mark and Luke and with Timothy. He has a deep and concern and fellowship with all the people of God. In chapter 4 and verse 8 of Timothy, he says that the crown of righteousness is going to come not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. When we love the appearing of Jesus, we are drawn into a community of those who yearn after Christ, who love Christ, who love Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we love Jesus who saved us in the past. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Yes, he died at the cross. And that is what we remember and that's how we love him for what he did for us yesterday. And we remember him today. He is the loving sustainer and sanctifier of his people. He sustains us. He sustains us by giving us power. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1.7 He sustains us. He doesn't take troubles away. He gives us power in the midst of them. And then 2 Timothy 2.19, he is calling us to be a holy people. He is sanctifying us by his grace. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows you. He's got you in his eyes. He cares about you. And he's going to keep you to the end. And let everyone who... Names the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. Yes, he will fill you by his spirit that you may walk away from sin. So we love God in the past, in his death. We love the Jesus who sustains us. And we love him in the future as the one who is going to give us that crown of righteousness. And we're looking for his peering. We're going to love it when he comes into town. Because we know there is our Savior who died at the cross for us. And he will bring us to himself. So this fellowship is a fellowship of those who love Jesus. We have a common love and we're alongside of each other. And whenever we're tempted to neglect or undervalue our fellowship with other believers, remember that it is only here in the church that we deal with eternal beings who are everlasting splendors. As Lewis puts it, there's no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. You see, cultures, arts, civilizations, those are the gnats. We're the real thing. I continue with Lewis. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with. Marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Remember that. You are looking around you in this sanctuary at those who trust in Christ 
everlasting splendors in eternity. And so this sense of waiting for the appearing of Jesus, loving his appearing, should always draw us to what all of us will become, and it should change the way that we treat one another. So fellowship becomes a priority that we're getting to know the people that we will know forever in glory. Second, these words at the end of 2 Timothy point out the urgency of reading and spreading the word. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Cullum here was with us to talk about the power of God's word. And this is a gospel of John, and we've been using them, and I encourage you to use them to get the word of God out. Well, when Paul is telling Timothy to come with Mark and Luke, he is telling him to come bringing the books bringing the scrolls. He wants to read the Old Testament scriptures with him. But he's also telling him to bring the parchments, which I alluded to you a couple weeks ago, was probably an allusion to rougher, more durable writing, writing documents, which could be scraped off as you would erase something on a paper today. It was a note-taking tool that could have held the logion or the words of Jesus, which was the basis for the writing of the Gospels, the Gospel according to Luke and the Gospel according to Mark. So this is speculative, but it's a possibility that here is the importance of God's word brought up to us in its writing back then, and it, in its preparation for preaching now. And as we think about those words, we think of these words at the beginning of chapter 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And then go back with me to, first, to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The word is wherever we read it in the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. And this pattern of sound words is the doctrine, the pattern of truth which allows us to take any particular text and then to open it up in terms of the whole. Yesterday, I was at an examination for a new pastor, Alex, from the Beechwood Presbyterian Church in Rochester. That's the one where it's in a very dangerous neighborhood. And this assistant pastor is coming alongside to work alongside the existing pastor there, Chris Holdridge. And he was examined for two hours yesterday on a hot Saturday afternoon because the PCA values this pattern of sound words, that we would have men in the pulpit who know to some deliver, deliberate sense of competency after education and then under examination, the whole, the sweep of the whole, so that when they bring forth an individual text, it may be done in light of that. And so, as we consider here the importance of the word, I want to say to you that this is so important that, that the full message of this new life would be brought. If you turn with me to Acts 5, 17 through 20, you'll see there in 5, 17 to 20, the disciples had been 
uh, arrested and put into prison. And then at verse 19, 519, but in, at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Or it could be put, tell the people the full message of this new life. When you are teaching doctrine, when you're teaching the pattern of sound words, you're trying to give the full message of the life. Who God is, why he is worth worshiping, who man is, and how we have a need of a savior. How salvation works in terms of the covenants, in terms of Christ's justification and sanctification and glorification of sinners. Yes, it is this pattern of sound words that they were probably deliberating over in these closing verses here. He wants that group of four together, Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Mark, so that they could strategize the proclamation of the word in the coming weeks. And so we see then the urgency of fulfilling your calling. We all have a finish line, either the day of our death or the second coming of Christ. Paul had reached his. He could see the tape in front of him. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He had gone the full path of his discipleship. And he was now imparting to Timothy and to us who listen over Timothy's shoulder that we need to go to the end with a sense of urgency. Come before winter. And he names certain people because he is wanting them to be encouraged in their walk with Christ. He is lifting up the name of Prisca and Aquila because he values partnerships in Christian marriage. He values those who work together to bring the word to others. It's clear in Acts 18, 19, that they went to their home when Priscilla and Aquila together heard Apollos and they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. This in no way replaces the biblical standard of men being the preachers in houses of worship on the Lord's Day, but it does say that in Christian marriage, men and women work together in the home to impart love and truth to people who need to know in a more adequate more adequate way what the gospel is. I've been blessed so many times to work with Lois in that way. I'm sitting there talking and then she chimes in and she completely uh, brings something fresh to the table that I've been neglecting to say. And I, I'm so thankful for that partnership and I'm thankful for the elders, for Ken and Joe, for Eric and Wendy, for Ralph and Liz who are on vacation, and the deacons, that's Clint and Judy back there, and that's John and Caroline. And I'm thankful for these people who in their marriages have a ministry to people and a ministry together. And I think that's one reason we should, one thing we should learn from this, this example of Priscilla and Aquila. And then he sends uh, greetings to the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus may have died. On his way back from Rome, that may be why he's saying address his household, because he himself was not alive. And remember that Onesiphorus was the one who was there, and he was uh, refreshing the spirit of Paul. 
verse 16 of chapter 1 of this letter. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he sought me very zealously and found me. Now, if you're ever tired of my phone calls, okay, sometimes i got to seek you out, okay? I, I'm no onesiphorus. I'm not putting myself in the same category. But this is biblical, okay, to seek people out. It's to be a, a friendly reminder of gospel priorities. So pick up the phone. I know you got call waiting and all those ID things, but think about it. I'll call back another time if you don't pick up. But, and I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to be a nag. I just want you to know, Onesiphorus refreshed Paul. And he is the kind of man where you see him come and you say, ah, here's a good word for today. And there's a man who's going to lift me up. Refresh me with the Holy Spirit as he brings God's word to me. And think also of what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 20. Erastus stayed in Corinth. He was the treasure in Corinth. The church needs treasures like the one we have here in Redeemer. He was a man who was a treasure of the whole city of Corinth. Paul was a treasure and a banker. And we need all kinds of gifts in the church. We got elders, deacons, treasurers, practical ways. I want to extend that practicality a bit. We need people who are going to clean this sanctuary. We need people who are going to mow the lawn. And I'm thankful for a young man who does that regularly. We need people who are going to go to the open door ministry. And we need people who are going to serve. And that's what Trophimus represents here. And there is a Erastus represents here, and Trophimus represents the man who got Paul in trouble. Trophimus was just seen with Paul. As a Gentile, he was seen with Paul in Jerusalem, and that was enough to cause a riot because they thought that Paul brought Trophimus into the temple, which you're not supposed to do with Gentiles. He hadn't. But the point is, we need people who are ready to show up again and to be servants in Christ's kingdom. And that is the thing that happened here with Trophimus. He had to be left in Miletus sick. He was ready, ready to suffer, ready to be on the line for Jesus. And finally, we see Eubulus and Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. Linus was the, probably the first bishop of Rome according to Irenaeus, the great church father, after Peter, Claudia, Pudens, Eubulus. These are Christians who had a, a no specific uh, ministry that we know of other than uh, Linus being that bishop, but they're mentioned by name to say that every one of us in the church, whether we have a specific heroic role or not, are part of the body of Christ. And these greetings are going out from them to Timothy because these are the ones in Rome. And remember, these are the Christians who did not show up when Paul was facing his first hearing. And so, having not shown up, he is even saying, 
Look, we together in Rome greet you, Timothy, and I count these my brothers and sisters, even though they did not show up with me. We need to do this in the grace of Christ, the final point. If we don't do it in God's grace, we will burn out. And I want to encourage you to remember that Christ's grace is poured out in your heart as the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, Romans 5.5. 5. It is poured out to overflowing. And the urgency of the gospel comes from the fact that we have a message to tell, a power to tell it, and a time and a place to tell it here and now. May God bless you in the gospel of being a disciple right to the finish line. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this book. Bless us as we go on to other meals and nourishing experiences in your scriptures. And bless us that we would be those with a sense of urgency relying on your grace to the very end.